Welcome to the first instalment of the Fitted Furniture Makers podcast. Now, if you're watching this on YouTube, be aware that you can also find this now as a podcast. I'll put details in the description below. If you found this as a podcast, then welcome. And my name is Alastair Johnson at Freebird Interiors. I've got a channel on YouTube called Freebird Interiors, which is all about the making of fitted furniture, uh, sprinkled with some SketchUp videos, pricing information, and that sort of thing. So in a similar vein, I decided to start a podcast interviewing other fitted furniture makers at different stages and scales of business. So for this first episode, we're going to be talking to John Jones at Jones Interiors. Hi, John. Hi, Alistair. Thanks for joining us. What I'm going to do is bring up your, your Instagram feed for those that are watching this, and you can just talk us through a little bit about your business. So tell us, tell us more about you. So um, my name's John Jones. I'm uh, from a s- small town in South Wales called Murphy Tidville. It's about uh-huh. 20 miles from Cardiff. Um, so basically, same as yourself, I um, specialize in the more bespoke joinery, so the fitted furniture, wardrobes, alcohol cupboards, and the stairs uh-huh. storage. And I also do a lot of um, kitchens as well. Okay, and how did you get into this line of work originally? Uh, so basically, I uh, started back in 2015 where I started doing the MDF wardrobes because um, I seen a gap in the market. Um, I used to sub to a company called Homebase um, doing the kitchens and bedrooms uh, through a third party. And I, it's something I really wanted to get into and started experimenting myself and it just took off from where really and every year it's grown from strength to strength. It looks like you're doing really well and I know that you've got an impressive number of followers on Instagram so I've, I've, I've noted that you've got far fewer or no you've got around about the same amount of posts as me but mm-hmm. four or five times the number of followers I think and oh, okay. I'm interested I think one of the reasons apart from you're obviously great at communicating what you do. I think you use um, stories a lot. It seems like you've had a lot of engagement with stories on Instagram. So tell me how you've how you found that whole process of building followers there. Um, again, yeah, um, I when the stories first came out on Instagram, I wasn't too sure about it because obviously it's more of a, a live feed. Uh, I know you can edit them, but you know it's got to be a natural um, process of just doing what you're doing on that um, moment in time um, and I do get really nervous and I'm not a great speaker um, so I was very reluctant to do it but again with anything you just practice and edit in a few of the small videos uh, on the stories and I was getting a real good response for it and to you know basically the real life what I was doing on that day and I quite tried to be quite honest to show my good stuff and also when I mess up as well um, so that's been really positive and I get a, a much better response from stories to my actual posts. I think you are a good speaker and I think most people, most people downplay their ability to communicate, but I think you're, you're just yourself, which is always important and you, you speak and explain things very clearly from what I see. So I think that's what perhaps others have responded to. That. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I see a lot uh, of yeah, people. Say, Sorry, go on. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I do get a lot of responses saying, oh, I wish you could, I could do what you do. And, but, you know, it's, you know, I, like yourself, you, you're very good at explaining stuff and in what you're doing. Um, it, is, it is difficult sometimes, you know, and 
I do actually feel quite guilty sometimes if I don't put a story out there and people do actually message me saying, oh, is everything okay? You know, you want to put a story out for a few days? And <laughs> so people, it seems that people are waiting for all the stories. Well, that's good, isn't it? It is, it is a pressure though then, isn't it? Because it can be a job in itself to manage the social media on top of your work. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, I try and do it, like some weeks I don't do it at all because I just don't feel like doing it I'm busy with because you, know, you, you are trying to run a business. Uh, so I think when people are forcing it, I think that comes across when people are trying to just put content out because they feel that they got to. I think that's when you probably, yes. um, you should step back a bit and just, you know, reflect on well what are the reasons why i'm doing this and you know i'm doing it because i enjoy doing it no other reason i think you come across as a, a very keen learner and teacher which i think usually goes together and yeah. it's clear that you're you're growing a business and you're trying out different methods and mm. it, i mean just going just going through your feed here so it, there's there's a noticeable progression from majority i would say mdf and yeah. the automated sliding wardrobe. So recently I've noticed you did a few a few sliding wardrobes with more am I right in thinking more pre-finished boards journals? Yes. So is that is um, that a real change in your business at the moment? Yes. Uh, and again, it, it's through Instagram um why I've um gone into that change. And like I said, I think Instagram is a very, you know, inspirational um platform to be honest. And it's just makes you want to be better and you see a product and go, wow, you know, that is something I would like to get into. And then you speak to follow people on Instagram saying, right, you know, where do you get your stuff from? And, and, you know, so many people has helped me out in that process and, you know, said, right, go here for this. And, you yeah. know, um, and, and yeah, I've only now got into MFC and to be honest, I didn't think I would ever get into it because area I'm in the price that it brings didn't think it'd be a good market to get into but it does seem very popular at the moment so that's why i've changed my business name and tried to go down a bit more professional route um you know so at the so moment you're deliberately chasing sorry to interrupt you're deliberately chasing yeah. the the fitted furniture yes more than skirting boards flooring door hanging that sort of thing hence the interiors yeah. in the name yeah yeah, so the name change came because I wanted to drop the carpentry because I didn't want the, the phone calls of just hanging some doors or doing some skirting. And obviously, there's nothing wrong with that. I've been doing that for so many years, since 2000 and, uh, 2005, when I started my business. Um, but it's just something I'm not really interested in doing anymore. Uh, and I do believe there's a, a gap in the market for the kind of work I'm getting into in, is the bespoke. Um, side of it with the wardrobes and alcohol cupboards and understairs storage uh -huh. and that's the, the market I just want to concentrate on at this moment in time. Okay that's that's interesting because it's a very similar range of work to what I identified as there being a market for for me in Sheffield. I know you're yeah. in you're in South Wales mm -hmm. um, and I think it's 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 about where people are asking for the work but also the crossover with your skills and abilities and the scale of your company so i found that the fitted alcoves the bedrooms the understairs storage um, um small company, company very bespoke approach was appealing to people and i i was struggling to say do the big scale kitchens that also needed more management more trades involved so i sort of carved out a niche 
um, very similar, I think, to what you're doing and, and very yeah. similarly rebranded with interiors in the name to try and bring more of that emphasis. So I see a certain amount of um, connection with your, your business journey as well. Um, yeah. So I've, I've got a few questions that I thought might be interesting to, uh, to go forward with. So um, the first two are just about your preferred methods, which I think is quite revealing for how to make a shaker door and how to make a floating shelf. So talk us through how you would typically make each of those items. Okay, well, regarding the shaker door, uh, and I believe this was uh, quite a highlighted point in my doing fitted furniture of what maybe stand out to everyone else because obviously the standard method is a cope and stick method of it's a five piece door and gluing it up um, yes. using a router table i don't do that uh, and a very good friend of mine and i can mention his name because he deserves a mention a guy called julian collins um, who's a very good carpenter and kitchen fitter um i was speaking to him one day on the phone and i said a customer wanted a shaker style door and i didn't know about the process of doing it and i have thought about using um nine mil mdf and then sticking a six mil on top um and then just pinning it on to create the right um, rails and styles but uh, i want to try and go a different route to that so he told me about the method of cutting your door to to the height and width and then creating new styles and rails are coming in i come in 100 mil top and bottom and side to side and then cutting the center out with a punch saw so mm-hmm. i cut out my center of the punch saw and then i flip the door on its front um, and then use a, a rebating bit and then plunge down nine millimeters. And so and do then, you square off the corners with a hand saw after you've done the plunge saw cut? No. Um, yeah, I, I, use a, I use a Japanese saw, uh, so okay. a flush cut in um, to obviously to square it up. So that's, and a pull, then, that's a pull saw, is it? Pull saw, yeah. Yeah, pull saw. Um, and then obviously do some sanding to get a really, you know, a nice crisp corner. Um, and then once you rebate it, I get a six mil MDF panel and then I use a 23 gauge nailer and glue and pin the panel in uh, to basically create the shaker style door. So is it an uh, 18 millimeter solid panel to start with? Yes, 18 mil panel to start with. Uh, and like I said, you've got a six mil panel in, in the middle then. And is that well six, six mil panel flush to the back of the door? Is it is it set in? No, it's set in it's set in three millimeters because I punched down nine millimeters. It's not flush, and I think that helps because you cut in a piece. To you mean you you re, you rebate down nine millimeters? You plunge yeah. three and then rebate nine millimeters deep. Yeah, yeah. I I have actually done a story, and it is highlighted on my Instagram because I was in so many messages. And in the beginning, I was basically trying to. Um, keep the secret to myself. Okay. <laughs> um, but I was getting so many uh, messages about there, and I thought, well, do you know what? Someone told me about there, um, so I thought I'd share it as well. Okay. Um, so if you, um, I, I see you on the Instagram page. If you go, I said, click the arrow, and it should be. Like, oh, it is there. Yeah, so it, yeah. Well, so there's up. basically a step-by-step yeah. guide on how to do it. Um, right. Yes. Oh, I don't know. That's it. Are you hearing that audio? Yeah, I can hear the whole audio. Right, yeah. so that we, we won't go through that now. But yeah. for those listening on the podcast, uh, Jones Interiors underscore SW on Instagram, and the first story, which is the circle at the top left there on his page, 
is his shaker door method. Yeah. Now, I, th I find shaker doors an interesting question. We'll get on to the chunky shelf next. Okay. I think just sticking on the shaker doors, it's something that most people in our line of work end up doing a lot of yeah. um, because people just like it. And I know for me, I, I experimented with lots of different door styles, including fancier cope and stick ones with a, a molded beading and a raised panel. Mm. Um, but I found that most people weren't that bothered by that. So if I, if I offered it, people might go for mm. it. But I was causing okay. myself so much more work than a simpler shaker door. And if I, yeah. if I simply offered the shaker door, most people were happy with that as well. Mm. And I, I think your, your journey of different methods to then the, the solid panel cutout method, if we call it that, is, mm. a, I think, a journey that lots of people go on. And I think sometimes you can have sort of like a brainwave or somebody suggests a method think wow this is it this is going to be yeah. the perfect method <laughs> and for me at one stage that, yeah. me that perfect method yeah. was the was the stuck on strips idea um because i thought oh brilliant i don't i won't have to yeah i won't have to clamp up um i won't have the drying time and i spent ages experimenting with different types of glue contact adhesive uh wood glue super glue and then whether or not to pin it because once you pin it you have to fill the holes um, yeah. whether or not whether or not to leave a distinct v-joint so because if you chamfer yeah. the, the strips that go on and uh, i find it interesting on instagram seeing seeing different woodworkers at different stages um some like for example derek barrett who i was yeah. very interested interested to discover recently that is his method for doors because i yeah. see him as sort of high level doing very very well and he, do, he doesn't clamp up five piece doors he uses the stuck on strip method that's right um to others then who do who cut through, which we then moved on to doing for a while, the cut through method. And again, I thought that was the, the silver bullet, the perfect method. But my, my problem with that has been the amount of dust it creates rebating out. Yeah. And the although it seems like a time saver, I found the squaring off of corners and all that sort of thing wasn't necessarily as much of a time saver as I first thought. Have, have you had mm. any further thoughts on it since doing it more, more regularly? Um, no, like I said, I, I wouldn't say it's the quickest method. Um, uh, and like I said, it is a lot of wastage because obviously you cut in an aperture out of the center of the door and, and because them corners are not square now it is, you do get a lot of wastage. Um, but because it works for me and I just, I've always stuck to that method. I never really tried the plant door method and I don't know why. And I know it's a very successful method. And like you said, Derek uses it and, like you know i would class him as a high end in what we do as well so um but I, i've always stuck to, to that method because it's always worked it's never let me down so probably i should try experiments sometimes and i do find you know myself sometimes i don't look into other methods i just find the method that works for me and i stick to it because of being scared of you know it not working out sometimes and losing money um but i think if if something's working for you it does make sense to stick to it. And I've, I've often jumped ship to another method, idealizing that it's going to be the best, but every method has its upsides and its downsides. So it, in many ways, I think it's as good a method as any. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've, we've moved from the method you're talking about to, to then doing really the very same thing, but with CNC 
That's right. um, outsourcing. Of course, that brings a cost because you're paying someone to do it. Mm. We hope to move uh, long term to doing it in house. Yeah. Um, but again, I mean, pros and cons. We've we've decided that suits us best for now because we've got the amount of work going through that it's worth paying someone just to get those doors made, and they're so accurate. That's the great thing with CNCing them is they are perfectly yeah. square. Um, and then we okay, we're we're paying for that, but we're we're doing productive work at the same time, and we turn the jobs around quicker. But mm. um, yeah, so moving on to uh, a chunky floating shelf in an alcove, what would be your your preferred method to make one of them? Um, well, to be honest, I've only ever done one chunky floating shelf. Okay. Um, a job anyway. And I actually have to, you know, go to your YouTube page and have a look how you do it. Right. Um, okay. Because for some reason where I am, it's not something people look into. And I, on my Instagram, I shared um, a post about, I think it was the first ever alcohol cover I've ever done. Um, that was fairly was recently, recently, wasn't it? I yeah, remember being very surprised. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, people, it's just not something people want, to be honest. Um, so, and it's, it was it's a shame, this, really. This one here, was it? it? Was this your first one? That's only, what, four posts, five posts down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, four weeks ago. Um, and like I said, it's, it's a shame because I really enjoy doing it. And it seems to be uh, all over the country, except for where I am, everybody wants them. Um, and I'm hoping to do more. And I'm hoping me putting in pictures out of that, if people are going to see it and say, oh, I really like that and want to do that. Uh, at the moment, I haven't had no other inquiries about it, which is a shame. Um, but the, basically the same method as you, you were doing. Um, I have done some just floating shelves on its own without the cupboard at the bottom. And I used your method of ripping down 18 mil MDF into 18 mil strips and then uh -huh. screwing them to the wall and to the sides, and then using a 12 mil MDF for the bottom, a 12 mil for the top, and then using a 12 mil front capping, and then just pinning it all in place. Uh, okay, that, that's a bit different to my method where I'd, I'd use 18 mil all round. So you, you will have ended up right, with slimmer, okay. slimmer shelves. Yeah, slimmer shelves, that's right. Yeah. yeah, okay. But again, it's something that I want to do more of, but it just doesn't seem to be very popular at the moment around you, which is a shame. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, and I, I suppose, I mean, it's not something I've given a lot, lot of thought to, but I, I can imagine that the market is certainly different in different areas of the country. Um, certainly in terms of what people are willing to pay. I mean, the obvious difference as you look on Instagram and see what people are doing in different areas. Well, I always tend to assume that people are charging a lot more in London. Um, mm. and actually, though, um, I'm quite interested to discover people all around the country who are able to charge a really good amount yeah. um, based on the based on the quality of their work. And something mm -hmm. I, I find interesting is I often think that the limit on what we can charge is is more in our own minds than yes. the market out there. And there are customers that when you're starting out and pe and you're getting you're getting people who want to pay IKEA prices for bespoke furniture, you just think, how yeah. can I ever make this pay? And it's like you don't even ever come across the customers that would pay more because they don't show themselves until no. you sort of draw them in with a better quality of work on your website, Instagram or whatever. And you yeah, can definitely. find, you can actually, I think almost anywhere in the country, you can sort of go up and up and find yeah. those people. Um, and from things you've said, I think you're, you're sort of, you're, you're moving up, aren't you? You're saying 
I forget if it was at the start of this podcast or earlier, you said to me that you didn't think there'd be a market even for the pre-finished MFC boards versus the unfinished MDF, but you are now finding people are happy to pay for that. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, like exactly like you said, you, you don't really find the top end customers until you start putting it out there. So it, and it is a, a gamble. Um, I was very lucky. The first MFC job I'd done, so the pre-finished job I'd done, it was very good customers of mine. And I was actually part of building a house with another company. So we actually built their house from scratch, a stick build. And I'd done That's every part of the house. And it was very good customers of mine. And I went to them and said, look, I know you're interested in another wardrobe because I've done MDF wardrobes at the home in the past and they wanted another one. I said, well, would you be interested in the pre-finish? So basically they was my guinea pigs hmm. and they was happy to go along with that. Um, yeah, um, I still obviously charged them uh, labor for it, but it was at a, a lower rate than what I would charge now. Hmm. Um, and Obviously, we understood that, and I said, you know, there might be a few hiccups and a few mistakes, but bear with me, and we see how it goes. And Ray was happy with it, and to be honest, it went it went fantastic. It worked really well. So, Great. and since I've done that, I've had four or five jobs just from that job alone. And that is the way it goes, isn't it? Sometimes doing a job opens up others, and I guess we all have to do those first jobs. There's always that element of risk. And you may not make money on it either because you deliberately underprice it to get it or you just yeah. don't realize what's involved. And yeah. um, as we're talking about moving higher end, I imagine there'll be people listening to this, if they've even listened this far, who when they think fitted furniture will be thinking, well, it, that should be solid wood, hardwood, yeah. all that sort of stuff. But we've only so far talked about MDF and we've talked about MFC as if it's a step up, but you could obviously yeah. go way way up do you have any experience of working in in solid woods and, and oak doors and that sort of thing uh no none at all N none at all um it's not something that's ever come up um I'm, I'm not a joiner i'm a carpenter so you know it's it's something i never had any experience with to be honest uh um and to be honest i don't really if i want to want to get into that really high-end stuff um i'm happy in what i'm doing uh so, and I said, I wouldn't want to class myself as a cabinet maker. Okay. Um, so I probably would actually stay away from it, even if the job did come up. I know that sounds quite mad, really. Even when you well, say I don't, no, I don't think it does. And I, I've made a, a similar choice, although I think, I think maybe I feel less at, at ease with the choice than it sounds like you do, because I went mm. into woodworking. Uh, really wanting to work with solid wood and to me right. mdf was a bit of a, a dirty word <laughs> yeah i think i i've learned as i think we all have in this trade that mdf is the right material for the job for a lot yeah. of the work we do both Definitely. in terms of economy but also performance the flatness mm. of the finish and the, the stability when it's when it's used right yeah um so what for you would be your ideal project um well I've got actually two ideal projects and I've done both of them this year. So I do like um, doing like a full house uh, and I was very fortunate to be part of um, a big project of it. It was a self build and I done um, wardrobes in every single room. So it was four rooms in total. And I also fitted the kitchen as well. And it was quite a large kitchen and I was on that job for about a month in total. And I really enjoyed that. And the, it was quite, 
um, relaxing in regards to for a month I knew I was going to be on that job. There's a security in that, isn't there? You're dealing with one person. You've got the, yeah. the one meeting to win them over, I suppose. And then yeah. you're set, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. And like I said, you know, you know, because I tried to complete the job within a week and sometimes it goes into a Saturday or I have to go back in a Monday and it's a lot of, you know, stress with that as well, making sure that your job is, you know, finished when you say or want it to be finished. But when you're on a big job, that pressure is off uh, a little bit more, uh, obviously, until the last week when you might be running behind. But yeah. I really enjoyed just going to the same place every single day. Um, and I, 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 that was quite relaxing to me. And um, again, it's, it does take up a lot, of, obviously, a lot of time. And you, you're feeling you're booking further and further ahead because you, you know you're going to be on a job a lot longer than normal. Um, but that was a really good job. And I'm hoping to do more jobs like that in the future too. Okay, great. So what do you, what do you love about your work? This is the first of two questions. The second one being, what yeah. do you hate about your work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I love everything regarding doing the actual work. Mm. So who, you know, even if it's just down my small workshop, uh, preparing all the materials and taking the deliveries to the actual on-site fitting and dealing with the customer. Um, I, I can't, I, it's, I can't say I don't like, you know, it's nothing I don't like about that kind of process. Um, I just love my job. I'm very, I think I'm very lucky in that respect that I do love what I do. Obviously you have bad days, mm. um, but I can't say I wake up in the morning and is a, is a certain aspect of the job saying, oh, I really don't want to do that today. So there's nothing you hate about your job. You just love the whole thing. Mm. Well, regarding doing the work, the, yeah. you know, the second part of the question of what you hate is the admin side of it, the pricing. Uh, and I think that is quite uh, normal in what we do. Um, I, I'm, I'm a carpenter. I'm a qualified carpenter. I went to college for three years to do my carpentry apprenticeship. I'm not a businessman. And that's one thing I really do struggle with is the business side of it, the admin, um, the pricing. Uh, even regards to like the emailing and stuff. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm dyslexic, so I really struggle with that side of it. So I, I got to rely on my wife to help me with that sort of stuff. And I do get quite frustrated sometimes. I wanted to ask you about that, that. because I noticed on one of your Instagram posts, I think you mentioned yeah. that your wife does all the writing. Is that right? I was quite amazed. Everything. Yeah, she Incredible. does everything. Uh, I'm very lucky that she does all my writing. So all my Instagram posts, all the replies, back to everyone is all done by my wife. Uh, wow. Obviously I tell her what to say. Well, so she'll read out to you a comment and you'll say, say this, right? Yes. Yeah. Every year. And every night um, once the children are gone to bed, we will sit down for an hour and we will go through all the posts and all the, and uh, all the comments and, and rep try and reply to every single person. She sounds like she's a, a real support then. For, oh yeah, for definitely. I know it sounds really cheesy. I couldn't do what I do without her. Uh, yeah, I'm very lucky and she's very supportive. Um, and she's the one that actually pushes me to do more Instagramming and even going to YouTube. She's the one who's trying to push me to do that. She's definitely the driving force behind it. I'd rather just sit and watch TV. In a night. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it, it sounds like she's helping to create a structure as well. I know something that I find hard is, is Instagram tends to take over. It is very yeah. addictive. Perhaps it's, yeah. perhaps it's been quite helpful for you that 
you can't reply except with her. So it sounds like you've carved out a time in the day when you do that. Definitely. Do you think perhaps that stops it taking over? Uh, yeah, definitely. We have got you know a time and a limited time to do it, so it doesn't take over too much um, mm. of my time. And I think like um, I think that's what you got to be careful with social media is you you doing it for the wrong reasons, mm. uh, and you, you you are doing it for the right reasons and for the right reasons for me is because I enjoy doing it. It's, it's my hobby. I do believe Instagram is part of my hobby. Uh, so, and I love doing it. So, and I think if I woke up one morning and said, I don't want to do Instagram anymore, I just wouldn't do it. And I do have times um, where I don't post and don't do any stories on Instagram. And I, you know, I just don't do it. And then mm -hmm. I do feel guilty sometimes uh, because I do have messages saying, oh, is everything okay? I'm here from you for a while. And um, so you do feel a bit guilty sometimes, which is quite strange. Uh, but it does motivate you as well to have quite a, an upbeat um, look into your working day and, and think of stuff to do. Yeah, so one of my questions, my next question was going to be what, what really motivates you deep down? And it, from everything yeah. you've said so far, it does sound like the, the love of the work, be it the woodwork, or the talking about it on Instagram seems to drive yeah. you forwards. But would you would you answer that about what motivates you? Um, I think um, obviously we work for money, so that is obviously the main goal is to make sure that you've got enough money coming in. But I wouldn't say it's the main um, motivation and the main reason why I do what I do. Uh, I probably could get more money um, working for a company. Uh, mm -hmm. and trying to do that and I, I have been offered a few times um, in working for a company uh, and I did experiment once in doing that but it just wasn't for me I just I love working on my own and mm -hmm. doing what I do and pick and choose in my work so I think it's just about the quality of life that I got is more important to me and again I'm in a very fortunate position at the moment and probably I've been for the last two and a half years is I pick and choose my jobs I, you know, if a job comes in and I don't like the look of it, uh, I just won't do it. So, and it, so you mean you have enough coming in that you, you can do that? Let yeah, some go. Definitely. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Are you aware of much competition? Do you come across many others in your area doing similar work to you who you, you sometimes hear have won a job that you might have done? Uh, to be honest, no, not really. Um, I'm in my area, some fantastic carpenters, some really good guys, and especially kitchen, kitchen fitters as well. Um, and a couple of years ago, that was my main uh, income is the kitchen fitting. I was probably doing a, a fit a week, uh, and that was a lot more competitive, and you had to be really careful on the pricing uh, mm. because there were so many. But regarding the, the bedrooms and the understair storage, there's not too many people doing it. I've seen it a few times, um, but... I think it's good as well. You have got some competition. I think it's quite healthy because mm. you don't get stuck in a rut and you don't get too arrogant. So if someone does win a job, then I will say, well, why didn't I win that job? Is it to do with the pricing? Because I don't believe um, all the time it's just to do with the pricing. It's my no, way you come sure across. Yes, I've, I've certainly observed that, that, that um, I will sometimes know that I've won a job and been more expensive yeah um, and vice versa hmm. um, but i think there are a lot of reasons why customers choose someone yeah definitely i think i think the first impression you know of going out to the customer and and 
like you you know you, it i think image means everything i think if you go go out and you turn up late or you know you mm. you even regards to if you van is very old and you know not looking great mm-hmm. and you know you you're quite scruffy and and i think it all helps i think image yeah you're, you're making me think because i've got a pretty much a year old dent in my van which i'm quite ashamed of given that everybody on on youtube can see it um <laughs> i've i've just never because it, it's it's the time to find a door and have the van out of action and the money to fix it but it does start yeah getting to my conscience and you've reminded me again have you have you sign written your van because that's something i decided to hold off doing for for because of the dent um but also i don't know it's you have to choose your expenditure don't you um wisely because there's always demands on your money as a small business yeah have you yeah well actually i just bought a new van and i'm actually picking up um, in a few days' time, um, and again, the, re- the reason why I bought a new van is because of the image thing. Um, my, okay. my van is—I got a, a VW Transporter, and it's uh, 2008, uh, it's, and it is looking a bit shabby. And I do think that with a new van, and it, it, I am going to sign right there, and it's just going to add to the kind of work I'm going into, and Great. gives the customers a bit more of a reassurance that you know you've you're proud to put your name out there and what you do. Um, and again, I don't know if it's going to make a massive difference, but um, I think it's the right you know, route to go down at the moment. I think you're right. It's, it really seems like you're on the up with the, the rebrand, the new logo, yeah. the new van. And I, I think from observing others that have done that sort of thing, I think there is like an uplift in how you're seen, but also how you see yourself. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for for putting yourself out there as somebody capable and professional and you mm. find it raises your own game as you sort of create that environment around yourself. That's yeah. I mean, to some extent my experience. Yeah. I, I think um, last couple of years I have got uh, probably stuck in a rut and, and being a bit, well, I got loads of work in, I don't need to change anything. And you know, if it's, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And yeah. it's only been the last couple of months that I thought, well, no, I need to change my way of thinking. And if I do want to go for the bigger, better jobs, and which you can charge more money for, then I think you've got to change yourself first. Uh, so that is and that's why I'm doing the rebranding. And, and, you know, not I wouldn't say I'm taking a massive risk, um, but taking a little bit more of a risk instead of being complacent in what I have been doing. Sounds good. So as you're growing, what would be your ideal size and shape for your business long term? Do you, do you have a destination in mind for what your business would look like? Um, well, I actually um, want to go down to four days a week. Okay. That, um, just because I'm, I'm spending so much time in the evenings pricing and doing the paperwork side and and even regards to just tidying up, like even if it's just a workshop or a van, I'm spending too many hours outside of the normal nine to five um, doing them sort of bits. So I want to try and do a four day week in regards to working four days in work. And then maybe the, the, the fifth day is doing where I do all my pricing and doing all the other sort of bits. So even though I say four day week work, 
I'd still be working the full five days, but not as many hours as I do at the moment, if that makes sense. I see, um, yes. I don't think I would take anyone on, um, I, and I wouldn't want to expand it that way. Uh, I have had an apprentice in the past, and I put, it, I, put it, I put him through his apprenticeship, and it was a great experience, but I don't think I'd do it again. And I don't think it'd be fair on the uh, apprentice because obviously they need the full range of carpentry work if they was going to do a be a qualified carpenter in what I'm doing. So I don't think it'd be a fair for a proper apprentice. Uh, maybe I would take on a kind of labourer or a, some sort of guy who's quite handy. Um, but I, again, I can't see it at the moment. But Again, this time last year, I couldn't see myself with a workshop or rebranding. So you never know what what comes in the future, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, you never know. But it it, it oh. does seem that you're quite content in your work, and you've yeah you've got, you've got a bit of a plan moving forward. But um, it's clear that the the making and the doing of the work is your motivation more than say building a, a business empire or anything like that. Yeah, definitely. Which I, I think I think will resonate probably with a lot of people listening to this. That I think those that, that gravitate towards fitted furniture um, mm. are often people that quite like working on their own with their hands, quite detail oriented, quite quality oriented, mm. and growing that beyond yourself um, is a very difficult thing to do, and yeah. something that many of us just don't have a great appetite to do. Oh. So, yeah. Well, it's it's been really interesting to hear about your business um is there anything else you'd like to to share or, or talk about before we wrap this up um no i think i think we've covered everything to be honest uh i don't think it's you've got no more questions in... no I've, I've got to the end of my my list of questions and uh brilliant i think we'll i think we'll leave it at, at that john so thank you very no much and well, thank you it's been good you, you're welcome yeah and, and i hope this will be the first of of more podcasts um so if you're if you've listened this far, then thank you and do look out for more. Um, I will be publishing on YouTube and Instagram the schedule as that gets firmed up. I'm not going to promise it at time of recording, but I do hope this becomes a more regular thing. And if you would like to nominate anybody to, to be on this, to chat about their work, anyone perhaps you know from Instagram, YouTube or elsewhere, or if you'd like to come on yourself, then get, just get in touch with me. Okay, John, well, uh, happy new year. We're recording this as it happens on uh, New Year's Eve. So I hope all goes well for you in 2020. You too, Asta. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks. See you on Instagram. Bye now. Bye. Bye.